0: Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus.
1: Uh, Verses 1 through 5, that's the scripture for tonight. And we'll read that. Uh, now, we've got to go, we can, can follow along. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scripture we had tonight, Lord, and your word to read. Lord, it would, uh, Apostle Paul wrote this many, many, many years ago. But, Lord, it's so true today. And, God, I pray that you would just help us tonight. And, Lord, let, help us to see the real meaning behind this. And let us understand that it's for our benefit and our good and our help, Lord, that this scripture is given. Lord, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, I, I pray that we, things would be done decently and in order tonight. Lord, help me to to accentuate what needs to be said, that these folks could understand it in their in their minds and and put it in their hearts, Lord, to to help them through the days ahead that they live. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, Paul, as we know, a little background on this. We'll talk about the, the Corinthians in just a moment. But Paul persecuted the church of Christ. He was a persecutor. He was a fervent, fervent persecutor. He went... One hundred percent in what he was doing. You ever know anybody like that at work or with their with their? I knew a man that that kept his yard in his home in perfect. I mean, it was perfect, a one. I mean, he spent time in his in his lived over in Landis. I can't tell you where he lived because he's he passed away since then. But it, it, he lived over there in Landis. But he had a nice yard there in the front. Had his grass was just Perfectly groomed, manicured. He took care of it himself. Uh, had had flower bed out there and nice little trees and everything was looked just. It looked like a picture. I mean, it was perfect. You, you couldn't find any fault in it. And so I I, uh, I saw him one day up there. We worked in the, the meal together, and he was in there. And I said, Will, I said, uh, I said, uh, I, I got to talking to about something. He said, well, wh- What? I said, Your yard. He said, yeah, you like that? I said, well. I said, you know what? I said, well, I think somebody threw a cigarette pack out in your yard. I was coming by there this morning and saw a cigarette pack laying out there. He said, what? I said, yeah. He said, are you kidding me? I said, no. I said, well, Check it out. And he was all upset, and then finally he, he was getting, you know what they do? They find the prettiest, neatest, cleanest, Best manicured yard in town, and they throw stuff in my yard. Yeah, he's getting all worked up about that. I said, hey Will, hold in. I'm just picking at you. You rascal, you, you you, 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 know. He he didn't want anything going in that yard that wasn't supposed to be there. He wanted it to be perfect. And he he after after a while he laughed, he laughed about it a little bit. But he was getting serious. He was very serious about his yard. He wanted it to be his lawn. he wanted it to be just right. And Paul, when he persecuted the church of Christ, he wanted to do it right. He made sure that where he went, he was going to take care of business. He was busy with that. That was priority number one. Because those Christians, these so-called Christians, meeting and having having an assembly and and preaching Christ and Jesus, that did not go along with the teachings that he had been schooled and trained in. He was dead set against it. He wanted to fight it for all it was worth. But then Paul had an experience on the road to Damascus. Yes, and a voice called out to him and it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he selected, he wanted him to carry the message of Christ and his, what his work was to the people. Instead of persecuting them and putting them to death, he wanted the people to have eternal life through him. Yeah. So, But he got serious about what he was doing, and he was very serious about it, and he was straight to the point about it. And all the writings of Paul, if we, as we read, and we see how sincere he was and how strong he was in his belief and how Christ changed his life from what it was to what it, what it became, and God used him in a miraculous way. He was a man just like we, he was a human being just like us. There wasn't anything super, <clears throat> super about him. He was just made up the same thing we're made up with. He wasn't a perfect man. But God used him in a way that, that was good, promoted him and pleased, pleasing unto the Lord rather than being against God, fighting against. Jesus said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks the pricks of the, the Holy Spirit of God was he saw what was going on so uh, in the church with the church and the people and how they stood for what they believed but Paul he says here and we talked about Brother Jeff has told us about the Corinthians where uh, in Corinth things it, it was a city that there was a lot going on it was really busy and a lot of it was not busy in a good way uh, there were a lot of merchants there. There was a lot of trading there. There were a lot of product there. There was, there was, there was so much to do, so much recreational type things going on. Some that weren't legally legal or lawful. Some of them that were not morally good. I won't go too far with that, but there was a lot of things going on in Corinth that were that were questionable, and it was in a location where that you had different characters coming in, different characters going out, coming in, going out, and there was all these different types of influence that was going on. But you had you had some believers there in Corinth. You had some Christians there that were in Corinth. As Paul addresses them in here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in this letter that he had written, and let's keep in mind, too, that, that when these letters were written to these churches and these places where Paul intended for them to ago they weren't written in chapters and verses uh it was broken out later on but it, this was one continuous letter but, but we've gone through chapter one and chapter one closes out that chapter which the letter wouldn't have been closing it out because it would have continued on it says let him glory in the lord in verse 31 of chapter one and then he says this and i brethren now, who would be brethren? Is that everybody? No. no. Believers. Yeah, right. Only ones who believe. You folks, if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ in your hearts, you are my brothers and sisters. Maybe even more so than my true brother was my brother. Because we're... we're bound together by the by the blood of Jesus Christ that's that is intense to me that that's strong right. right brothers and sisters in in Christ Christ in us and us in Christ as family brethren sistering is that a word <laughs> sistering yeah, I don't know. To I, hey, I gotta include the, the ladies in there too. Okay, it's not just brethren. But we we have our breakfast together. We're brethren, but you ladies are brethren. You're sistering. Okay, we'll call you that. I just made that one up there. That was on the. There it goes. And I, brethren, maybe know who he's talking to. When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Declaring unto you the testimony of God. Excellency of speech. He didn't have a lot of flowery, uh, perfumey words where he enticed them with beautiful words and and promised them all these wonderful things. Uh, I can think of an instance once, the Bible talks about that somebody had... uh, had an excellency of speech. but he didn't have a whole lot of wisdom, but they was pretty slick. It happened in the Garden of Eden. It's called a serpent. God says if you eat, he knows if you eat from that tree, you'll be just like him. You'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. What a great speech. Wow. You know what? He believed it. That flowery speech took her in with that. He had, he had that excellency of speech. Paul said, I didn't come with excellency of speech. I didn't come with, with flowery words or, or good strong words of, 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 of all these beautiful things. I didn't want to paint this beautiful picture or of wisdom. He said, there's a lot of things I don't know. He admitted it. There's things that I'm not sure of, but he went on to talk about some things that he was sure of. He said, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He just told them what the word of God had to say. That's all he was telling. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all. Nothing added to it, nothing took it away from it. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. There's he had some weakness. There was some fear. There was some trembling that was a result of those things. And his speech and his and his preaching, they weren't just with enticing words of man's wisdom. That they were in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. For what reason? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Um, emphasis on importance of God's means of preaching, not our own way. He was saying, this is what God said. This is, this is the way of the Lord. This is not my way. This is not something Paul says, this is not what I come up with, but this is something that God come up with. God did it himself. He created it himself. Um, and when we preach, we preach not what we think or what we, what, what we want to say, but we should preach and teach what the Word of God says. That's what he was doing. And that's what we should follow that example today. We should be the same way. We should be only preaching the truth. You know, it it would be easy to come in and and we we have a small crowd of people here. But, you know, if, if we went about things a different way, we might have already had to move out of this place into a bigger church building a year ago if we would have done things differently and used enticing words and building up the power of positive thinking in people, we? I mean, you, you ever see that when, uh, I know, I did not like to hear when I was a child, my parents tell me, uh, no, I didn't want to hear that. And I didn't want to hear, their, I, didn't, I wanted everything to be like I wanted. You know, people in general, most of the time, people out in the world, they want things to be like they want it. We go to work, we want to get paid what we want to get paid. We never get the paycheck that we think we deserve, do we? We always think we deserve a little bit more. Oh, we always like a little bit more. Or I'd like a little bit more vacation time. Or I'd like a little easier job. Or I'd like to have a little more help. If we got everything we wanted, if all of us always got everything we wanted, what would this place be like? What would the world be like? What would our lives be like? We, we don't get everything we want. If we spoil our children enough, they think they are got to get everything they want, and they've got to have everything they want, and they're going to be spoiled brats. So... <laughs> If you want to bring up spoiled brats, give them everything they want all the time and you'll have them. But trust me, you, you won't have very, they won't turn out, it won't turn, it don't turn out good. It's not going to turn out good. If you look over in Romans 10, verse 17, let's look back at that. And I had a piece, you know what I had? I had a sheet that had all the verses on it, but I didn't bring it with me. At home. How about that? Now I have to go back in the Bible and go back and look. I have to pull the verses up. Romans 10, 17. Somebody read that for me. Charles?
0: So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God.
1: So Paul was straight on with the Romans when he said that faith cometh by hearing. Faith doesn't come by work, works. Faith doesn't come by somebody having a really sharp mind. Faith doesn't come by someone having great speaking abilities. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by what? The Word, Word of God. You know, this morning we had the, um, I had the devotional this morning. I think I did. Yeah, I did. I didn't read the psalm this morning. so Charles read the psalm. I had a devotional this morning, but uh, we, we were talking about, in, in, actually, we looked over in Psalm 42, and we, we were talking about uh, uh, how faith it works, like our daily life, like how we face things in our, our, our daily um, walk, our daily life. And we, we wonder if things don't go just right, what we can do, what we, how we going to fix it, how we going to do this, how we going to do that. Well, God gives us His Word to help us. We don't know what kind of news we're going to get before the day's over. We don't know if we're going to get bad news, and we don't know if we're going to have a, a deathly ill child, or adult, or friend of ours, or a, or a parent, or a brother, or sister. We don't know. But God gives us a way to deal with those things if we, they do come along. And a lot of times it does come along unexpectedly. We, things happen, and we need the Lord right that very moment. And We're not just ourselves and what we know about our, in our heart, but we, He gives us His Word so we can, we can stand on what the Lord tells us. We can depend on what He says. But faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So Paul was strong with that he had he had a simple message the simple message in this scripture that we read tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 was shortened to the point it wasn't beating around the bush so to speak simple message and have you ever heard someone? Now I'm not much a speaker right now. I, I'm I'm a little bit nervous about being up here. I'm a whole lot better off if I'm if I'm teaching a Sunday school class of five six year olds. And trust me, I'm better better um, more used to that because I've done that for years and years and years. Now, adults. I know not not very uh, well at that. But um, eloquence, eloquence, speech. Sometimes you'd rather have, have you, have you ever, let me just put this out here for a minute. Have you ever went, looked up something on the internet and your question, say you, you look up, I don't know, Amarillo, Texas, you say, find out something about Amarillo, Texas, and you type in Amarillo, Texas, and it pops up, and it's got Wikipedia, and you go to that and say, well, there's something about it, you click on that. And so it pulls up, and it's Wikipedia article. When I mean, you go into the Wikipedia, and you're sitting here going, wow, there's a lot of information on here. Now, you don't know if it's always true or not, but it's on Wikipedia. I'll give you that one tip. But then there's something that's like a little blue highlighted word about something about a river. And you go, what? Interesting. Click. You click that. It goes to that. Then you start going to other places on there, and, and the the language sometimes the people that write some of those articles they get really deep technically deep and I'm not technically deep I'm not uh, wisdom endowed with all these wonderful work look I don't have a master's degree okay I don't some of you folks probably do but I don't but I don't have all that Knowledge that my school teachers wish I would have had when I went to school, I should have listened a little bit better, but I, I'm not able to comprehend things so much, but the words start getting deeper, and I go, okay well i'll look at that and then and then you'll find out about some well here's notable people from that area, so you click on that and it brings them up and the next thing you know you've gone down a wormhole and you're you've clicked on about twenty different things, and you are totally off what you started off. I want to research something about Amarillo, Texas. I want to look at something. And next thing you know, you're on some crazy facts about, you saw something about a recipe or some, a dish that they like to eat at a certain place, and you start researching that. And you've, finally, you, you get so deep in that, you forget what you even started with. Yes, now, that was a crude example of what I'm trying to say. I feel like Barney Fife up here. It was a crude example of what I'm saying. But if we're not careful, we'll get so caught up in the beauty of the speech and the eloquence it's delivered and how the charm... Uh, uh, let we, you could go into sports and you could bring up the same thing. You could take a guy that's a baseball player. He's a pitcher. He's got the perfect form. He's worked on that form so much. I mean... He's got every movement just exactly right. He's had the best coaches in high school and college, and this guy has got it all figured out. He knows how to pitch to the batters. He knows how to put the ball. He knows how to take that, break that curveball off. But his top speed is about 72 miles an hour. He's not going to make it very far. <laughs> He's got it all figured out. He's, buddy... I'm doing it right. But he's not. If he had a 99 mile an hour fastball in a decent curve, he could probably go pretty far. But he's got all these mechanics that are just exactly right. But the mechanics don't deliver the ball up to the plate. The mechanics will send you down to the farm leagues. It'll send you back home. Unless you've got that ability and that talent and that strength to do that it's same way with speaking if it, you can you can do the political speeches and make it sound like music to the ears of folks y'all understand what i'm saying yes yeah. you got the you got you got the speech and it, what i was talking about a while ago about oh we could have we could have 150 people here tonight. If, if we'd done things a different way, but that, we're not trying to do that. What what we're trying to do here at Gospel Way Baptist Church is get is to get the gospel out. Right. It, it's important. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be saying we got to have at least 300 people here before the end of the year. We got to pack this church out. No, we need to preach the gospel, teach the gospel. Live the gospel. We got to do that because that that's important. Yeah. Having that speed on that fastball, that's important. You better have that. When you researching something for a for, for college paper, you don't go down these crazy wormholes and do all these idiotic things. You stay right with the point that you're going after. Right. Like you you stay with it. Eloquency of speech and beauty of speech. It doesn't do a whole lot of good. right? right. We, it, have you ever heard somebody trying to, have you heard somebody like Ricky Beaver get up here and try to say something and you just wonder what in the world is that guy saying? <laughs> well, anyway. But Paul said, no, I didn't come with this beauty and this excellency of speech. He flat, he flat out just said it. He said, excellency of speech and of wisdom. He said, I didn't do any of that stuff. But then he goes into verse 2 and he says, Only I determined to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all all that was that, that he needed to say. He needed to talk about Jesus and his crucifixion. It's focused, zeroed in, on Christ and him crucified. Now, I'm sure that Paul came into Corinth and met and preached. And folks heard what Paul had pre- was preaching. And they said, that's just, that's, junk. that's no, nothing to that. And they walked away. But others heard it. And they heard it with their heart. And they trusted the Lord. These are the ones that are addressed in this verse number one as brethren. Yes, sir. The ones that believed. Believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The only important thing was Christ and Him crucified. It's a commissioned message. Focused, simple, commissioned message. We go look back in 1 Corinthians and verses uh, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. How true that is, and how he went right back in later on here, what we just read, if I'm determined to know anything among anything among you save Christ Jesus and him crucified, he didn't want to know, need to know anything else except that. that's all that was needed yeah. sometimes I think the world gets so much stuff that it clouds up the real truth. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Yes sir. That's the basic message. Yeah. That was the message of this Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's nothing but the gospel. Christ died for you.
0: Yes, sir.
1: He took the wrath of God on the cross for you. Yeah. And in our study uh, on Wednesday night, um, uh, we had about um, the book of John. The gentleman was talking about the uh, the crucifixion. And he said, the book of John is the only gospel that plainly says that Christ carried his cross. Because it said Simon was yeah. the other gospel's Tell me if I'm wrong about that, but he was the only one that said he... And and one of the questions was, uh, what did you see there? What do you see there about Christ carrying his cross when he was crucified, going to Calvary? And, And my thought was this. He did not have to do that. They could have said... Pick up your cross and carry it. Jesus could have said, no, not going to do it. Take the whip. Pick it up. But it didn't happen. He knew and when he went to the garden to pray before he was crucified, he knew what he was going to do. I'm going to carry that cross up there. And they're going to put me on it. And the sin of the world is going to be on me. Christ thinking to himself. He knew. Jesus Christ had hands like we've got. He had feet like we have. He had a body like you've got. He knew what was the end was going to be. He knew how it was going to work out. But yet, he willingly took it up, carried it himself. Had some help, too, from a man helped him, but Jesus didn't have to do it. He could have refused to do it. And Charles and I were talking about that this morning. And he said, you know that song, he could have called 10,000 angels to, to stop that? crucifixion right there he had the power to do it but he was not going to do it it had to be done and he knew it and that was his time and it was going to happen he was going to take the wrath for every sin that's ever been committed imagine that just think of your own I think of my own And I think of Jesus dying for that. And I think that times billions and billions of people. Still one's being born. babies being born all the time. He died for their sin. Their sin's paid for. Will they trust him? Will they take him as their Savior? You know? But he he had to do it. He felt pain. We feel pain. We hurt ourselves, we hurt ourselves, we feel pain. He felt every pain because he had a physical body just like we've got. But Paul put, it, put in priorities. His priority was the cross. Yes, sir. He said, "I'm not come to baptize. I'm not come to do all these wonderful things with wisdom of words." But he said, I came to preach the gospel, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. That that cross, he goes back to that cross again and again and again. He's seen it. He, it, it, got, it got him. He knew what it, what it was he was talking about. Prioritizing Jesus. Verse number 2. For I determined not to know anything among you save Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Paul rejected reliance on human wisdom or works. He centered, centered his preaching on Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.14 This verse says a lot about Paul, about his life and his testimony. Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul said there's nothing. God forbid. Forbid it, God, that I should glory in anything other than the cross of Christ. Because if I glory in one work, John, one work that I've done, if we we say, here's one thing that I did and I did it right, what does the Bible tell us that our righteousness is, Charles? Filthy rags. It's filthy rags. There There is no thing that I can say, okay, well, I conquered this. I did this. I did this right. This is filthy rags but the glory here here's something there's a throne and this is going on and it's going to go on forever holy 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 praise to the Lamb praise to the Father holy Holy never ending, never stopping, never closing out, constantly holy, holy, holy. Yes. Why? Because he is holy. It's not holy, 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 but I did a few things myself. No, I made a lot of mistakes is what I did. Yes, <laughs> yes, How many mistakes has, has Jesus Christ made? None. None. Zero. Paul didn't use tactics to win the crowd. Verse 3 says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He didn't use these bold, use boldness to project it to the people of how wonderful he was and all these things that he did, all these magnificent places that I've been and all the wonderful things that I've done. And we had a revival we had 55,000 people saved before that week was over. And then we moved down to this other town and they were coming in by the boatloads in that place just to hear me speak. No, he didn't bring that out. He just said, my glory and the cross. The gospel can stand on its own without being dressed up for showmanship. Yeah. The gospel not us and our methods, is the power of God to salvation. And we know in Romans 1.16, if we look look at Romans 1.16, we see that scripture that says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Yes. Sir. The gospel of Christ. So concentrating only on the gospel and the, it'll stand on its own. Yeah. We don't have to prop it up. Yeah. It is powerful to stand on its own and it will stand on its own and it's been standing on its own for a long time. It'll continue to stand on its own. Yes. Sir. For us who believe, that's what we depend on. That's what, If we're dependent on anything besides the finished work of Christ, we're not dependent on the finished work of Christ. Right. If we try to take something away from it, we're still not dependent on it. Right. We have to totally trust in the finished work of Christ. And when Jesus said, it is finished, it was done. It was complete. He had, obeyed the Father's will, it was complete. It was, it was done. Yeah. There's nothing to be added to it. Well, we needed this and we need to do that. No, we don't need to do... If we do it, it'll be messed up. It won't be right. Preaching in the Spirit's power in verse 4. We'll look at verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but to demonstration... But in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Highlighting on the role of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, eight. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. Acts 1, eight. The Holy Spirit of God guides. Jesus said, "I won't leave you comfortless. Right. I'll leave, but I'll send the Comforter." Yes, sir. His disciples, when they heard Jesus talking about this, what what are you talking? What are you saying? What do you mean? Well, he told them, I'll, "I'll send the Comforter." Who is the Comforter? The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God which was to turn back to earth, come back to earth after Christ went, back, went into heaven. The principle of faith is in verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's purpose is so that their faith isn't in him or his way of doing things, but their faith is in the gospel. And if you look over back in chapter 1, he said, in verse eleven, for it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. They was fussing and fighting, and they were all in the same house. Imagine that. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? So the purpose of their faith shouldn't be in a man. It shouldn't have been in Apollos. It shouldn't have been in Cephas. It shouldn't have been in Paul. But it should have been in the gospel. It should have been in the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel according to him. That's who it should have been. They should have all been in one. They shouldn't have said, well, I'm I'm trusting Apollos. Well, well, uh, I'm trusting Paul. Well, I'm trusting Cephas. That argue, 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 argue. And that should be, I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone. Yes, sir. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Don't believe on me or my cronies. Believe on Christ. Trust Him. Believe in Him. Put your faith in Him, in Him only. Paul is shifting focus in this verse from human persuasion to divine power. Faith rooted in God's wisdom and power. Conviction that faith should rest in God, not man. 1 Corinthians 1, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So whenever you hear anything other than the gospel message, you folks have been in church. You've been exposed. If you've been coming to Gospel way anytime time during the past five years, soon be five years, we'll be here in April. It should be five years in this church. But if you've been coming here on, on a regular basis, or you you know what the gospel, you should know what the gospel is. You shouldn't be led astray by something that's not, what the gospel says. You should be strong in that. And which is gonna make a good bunch of believers that trust in the gospel and the gospel only. And you're not gonna be swayed in a different direction by a smooth talk. Have you ever been smooth talked by a salesperson? I have. <laughs> Talked into something I really didn't want to do or didn't want to buy. Next thing you know, I'm buying some kind of cleaner that's going to clean my whole house, my roof, my cars, and everything else for twenty five dollars in a bottle that big. I mean, you know, that happens, Charles. It just happens. I know. I bought it
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> you got a bottle of it.
1: But I mean, you know, I said the first thing I said. I see the guy coming driveway. I'm like. No, just, hey, bud, I'm out here. I'm getting ready to change the oil in the car. I, I don't want to fool with this mess. Next thing I know, he's walking off in there. I got that cleaner going. I guess I'll try that and see if it cleaned the engine in my car. Get that grease off of it, you know. But don't fall for that snake oil. What snake oil? Is that what your daddy used to say it was? Snake oil? Snake oil salesman. <laughs> don't fall for the snake oil. Don't fall for the snake oil salesman. But just do, like, Paul set an example for us. He, he told us, I glory in the cross, in the finished work of Christ. And that's all. I, that's all there is. There is nothing else. And don't believe, oh, there's a lot of things you've got to be dedicated, consecrated, separated. It's like Brother Jeff said this morning. When the thief that hung on the cross got to heaven, he said, the man in the middle cross told me I could come. Well, our, 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 what what's your do, do, doctrine of separation? I'm like, oh, what? I don't know anything about that. We're just trying. How much, how much offering did you put in the plane? What plane? <laughs> I just believed what he said. Here I am. So, Trust in, trust in Christ. And we'll see as we go on through 1 Corinthians that he'll, he'll come back to this again and again and again. Yeah. He'll go into it. And the best is yet to come. Because I mean, my stammering and stammering up here tonight, but there's a lot more good coming down the road. And uh, you, you'll see as we, as we look next, the next time, there's more about the wisdom of speech and and uh, you you can read ahead it's not a secret it's right here (laughs) (laughs) just go through there it reads better than a novel does and it's true novels novels are not true I bought a novel I got a novel one time and I'm a big history person and I I got a novel one time about the Lincoln assassination and I didn't know it was a novel I started reading it I was telling my wife I was like Man, you you wouldn't believe what all was involved in that. How many people? How many different organizations? And all was all tied into all that thing. And when I finally got done with it, I started researching that a little bit more. I thought, and I found out. I said, that's just something somebody made up. It's like a comic book. <laughs> I, believe, I was believing. I was. I was taking that stuff in. I said, man, there was everybody. And their brother was in on that. Not it was. But it's easy to get caught into something like that, but you don't have to worry about it when you read this. Yes. Because this is plain, it's simple, it's straight, it's written on it's what, 7th grade level, 6th grade level? You can do this. Thank y'all for your time tonight, and I hope I didn't stammer and stutter and waver too much. I told her we were going to be done in about 10 minutes, so I kind of ran over it. Appreciate y'all's attention tonight, and stay with it. Stay with it. Let's thank y'all.
0: All right, let me call our attention to the book of 1 John. We're going to be looking at the last two verses of chapter number 2 and the first 10 verses of chapter number 3. Again, we we all know and understand that when John wrote this letter, he did not divide it into chapter and verses. Uh, That was divided for us to be able to find it more easily. Uh, that way I didn't have to tell you to turn to the letter of John, the 22nd paragraph, three sentences in. I could, I could tell you to turn to the book of 1 John, chapter number 2, and we'll pick up in verse number 28. Let's pick up there and we'll read down through uh, verse number 10 of chapter number 3. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If we know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when, we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in Him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen Him, neither known Him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness... "...is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Wherefore, or whosoever is born of God, doth not commit sin." For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifested, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask you that you would give us clarity of this scripture today. I pray that as we look into it, may we see it as it was written to the believers. Lord, I pray that we may glean from it that, that you would have for us. And Lord, may we see it more clearly. And Lord, may through that, may we see you more clearly And seeing you more clearly, may we hold you more dearly, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was thinking as I was looking at this and studying, the, the thought came to my mind, and I said this, I think, several weeks ago, but how dare we open up the, the Word of God and turn to a letter like the letter of First John, how dare we break it apart into little segments and try to fit our own precepts into those segments. For us to rightly understand what John is saying, we must understand his entire letter. And if we're going to understand the entire letter of the book of 1 John, then there are some questions that we have to answer. These questions help us to rightly understand what John is saying in this letter that he is writing. The questions we must ask is, Who is John writing to? Why is John writing to them? Who is John writing about? What is John writing about the one that he's writing about? Why was he manifested? And what is our sin that John's talking about? If we can understand these questions, if we can answer these questions, we can rightly understand and interpret what John is trying to say In this passage of scripture. And I think it's important for us to do that. Mainly because. I don't know whether you caught it. But if you just took this section along. And you were to pull it out. And let it stand on its own. And it not stand with what went before it. And what comes after it. If you take this out. You're going to look at a couple of different things wrongly. You're going to look at the life of the child of God wrongly you're going to look at the possibility of sinless perfection wrongly you're going to to question things and that's what John is trying to avoid in the church when he's writing this he's trying to avoid those misunderstandings that are being brought back in Understand what's happening, and I know that we've been over this, but the more that we understand this, the more that we rehearse this in our mind, the better we understand the book of 1 John. Understand that this church had been founded, there were people in this church that truly believed the Lord Jesus Christ. They were truly believing the Lord Jesus Christ On their behalf. And in believing so. There were those that went out. And they went out. For whatever space of time. It may have been a short period of time. But they were coming back in. Bringing false teachings with them. And the ones that had remained were questioning. What they were saying. Because they were making the statements that we have a greater knowledge of God. And through this greater knowledge of God, we don't sin. We don't commit sin. So John is refuting this while at the same time he is offering assurances to the believer. So if we're going to answer these questions, to whom is John writing? When he's writing this book, he's writing to those that remain. He's writing to the believers. He's writing to those that had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for them. They had believed in the work that Jesus Christ had done. John started out this This letter, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled, of what? The word of life. That word of life, he's talking about Jesus. He is writing to those that are believing. Why is John writing to them? John is writing to them for the sole purpose to give them Assurance to offer them assurance in all that he's saying. So if you were to take this passage, if you were to take these, this portion of John's letter and pull it out by itself, it's not going to give assurance. Right. Right. But if you take it in its context and in what John is saying and what and you look at it in the context in which John has written it, it gives great assurance. Why did John write to them? He wrote to them to give them assurance. Who is John writing about? He's writing to believers. He's writing to them to give them assurance. And where are they going to find that assurance? There's only one place. That is in Christ, in the word of life. In the one that has been manifested. What is John writing about him? He is writing that he has been manifested. You're not just having to be told that he is coming. In our day, John is saying, we have seen him. We have touched him. We have looked upon Him. We have looked into Him. We have looked into what He said. We have dug into what He taught. And we have found it to be true. And we have told you of that. And in telling you of that, that is where your confidence lies. So He was telling them, He's writing to them about Him that He has been manifested. Why was He manifested? That's found in our scripture this morning. Look at what it says in verse number 5. And we know that he was manifested what? To take away our sins. And in him is what? No sin. So we know that he is writing to the believers. He's writing to them about their assurance. He is writing to them, offering them assurance, and that assurance is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just because this is a story somebody's telling you about, but He has been manifested. He's been seen. He's bled. He's died. He's risen again. He's ascended into the, into the Father. He is our intercessor. John is telling them he's been manifested and he was manifested to take away our sin. What did Jesus say in John chapter number 17 before his crucifixion? John, uh, Jesus said in John chapter number 17 that he came to do what? To give us eternal life. What is that eternal life? To know God and to know his son, which was sent by the father. That's what John is rehearsing with them. Why was He manifested? He was manifested to take away our sin, to give us eternal life. What is that eternal life? That eternal life is that knowledge of God and that knowledge of the love of God that He has for us and has manifested on our behalf by sending His Son to die on the cross of Calvary. Then that leaves one question. What is John talking about when he mentions here our sin? If you just take this passage of Scripture and you pull it out by itself, you're going to think he's talking about all of sin, everything broken, every every commandment that you've ever broken, your sin as a whole. What John is alluding to here, and I don't want to get a hold ahead of myself, but what John is alluding to, he tells us, in fact, in, in chapter number two, he makes this statement. In chapter number two, and uh, in, in verse number three, he said, And hereby we do know that we know him if what? If we keep his commandment. That commandment is the law that God had given. The law of what? We found out what His commandment is. What is the commandment that He gave us is found in John chapter number 3 and verse number 23. And this is His commandment. That we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And love one another as He gave us commandment. So if John is walking down through this and he's dealing with this matter of distinguishing and and by the way, he is dealing with the matter of distinguishing between the children of God and the children of the devil. He is distinguishing between that. but We're going to look a little bit more at that here in just a moment. But the distinguishing difference Between the child of God and the child of Satan is their belief. That is what distinguishes them. The distinguishing difference is not the way you comb your hair. It's not how you dress. It's not where you go or where you don't go. The distinguishing difference between the child of God and the child of Satan has to do with belief. And that's what John's dealing with. That's what John is giving assurance of. And that's the reason we can walk down through this passage of Scripture. And that is the reason John is saying what he's saying. He's offering them assurance. He's telling them as he walks down through here. He starts out in verse number 28 and he said, And now, little children, abide in him. He's not telling them to do something. He's reminding them of what they have done. He is reminding them that they are abiding in him. He's not (laughs) telling... Our abiding in Christ, our being placed in Christ. Let me ask you this question. When you're taken out of Adam and placed in Christ, is there any possible way that you can ever be taken out of Christ and placed back in Adam? So if you're abiding in Christ, you abide in Christ the the, the moment that you're taken out of Adam and placed in Christ, you're abiding in Christ and that cannot change. John is reminding them that their belief is what they they are abiding in Christ. He said, my little children, abide in him that that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We're abiding in him. We're believing him. We're trusting him. He's saying if you've believed, that belief can't be taken out of you. That belief can't be removed. As far as you look and as far as I can look, that belief may be have stuff piled on top of it that makes it look like maybe you don't believe, but that belief doesn't change. Why does the belief not... Why is it impossible for somebody that has believed to never, to to, to not believe? They, They can't, a person who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ can never in their life not believe. It's impossible. Why? Because of the triune God that you and I serve. God formulated a plan his son carried out that plan and you and I were given the gift of the Holy Spirit of God to live and dwell within us in order for us to not believe once we believed, in order for us not to believe the Holy Spirit of God would have to leave us and that's not going to happen Amen It may be fain in your life. It was fain in theirs. They were wondering, maybe these people know more than we know. Maybe these people know something we don't understand. But John was reminding them, we know that we know because you stayed believing. Believing. What did he tell them later on? I think it's in uh, later on down in chapter number four. He told them, he said, they went out from among us because they were not of us. Why did those that went out go out? They went out because they were not of them. What were they not of? They weren't believing. It did. It wasn't because they didn't dress like them. It wasn't because they didn't go where they went or didn't not go where they didn't go. It's because they weren't believing. That's the reason they went out. That's the reason why they came back with some other teaching. Because they weren't believing. They weren't believing what? They weren't believing that Christ was everything. That Christ was all in all. It is the believing that makes the difference. Even as we walk down through this, he said, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. What, what, What does the Bible tell us? To as many as believe they are given the power to what? Become the sons of God. It is your believing that causes you to become the sons of God. Now let me ask you something. Did you develop that belief on your own? No. That is the grace of God. The grace of God hath appeared unto us, showing us that Christ hath quenched the wrath of God for all of our sin, for all of time, and all of eternity. You and I are God's, we are God's sons because of the believing. The believing was made possible when God revealed His grace to us, and the Holy Spirit of God was placed in us. And when the Holy Spirit of God was placed in us. That is the belief. and You can't get rid of that. He tells us here beloved. Now are we the sons of God. And he it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him, and we shall see Him as He is. When we understand this passage of Scripture, we know that we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear. Here is here is a portion of Scripture that explains to us the, the not yet, but already you and I are already in Christ but yet we're still here on earth we're in Christ what 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 where are we at in Christ we're seated together with Christ in heavenly places are we not that's what the bible tells us but yet we're still here we're still tempted by this world we're still tempted by the desires of this world, But in the economy of God, we're already in Christ. We're already seated together with Christ in heavenly places. You and I have that assurance. We are the sons of God. Why did all of that happen? Why is all of that an assurance to us? All of that is an assurance because we believe. That is what his commandment was, is it not? What is the whole reason that he is is continually talking about those that went out? He's continually talking about those secessionists. What was their problem? They were not believing. They were not believing what Christ had done on their behalf. But those that were there and those that remained were believing. He said, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. That hope that lieth within me, that hope that I have inside of me, that I am born again, that I'm a child of God, that hope that lieth within me is just as sure as Christ is. It's not as sure as my deeds are because my deeds are ever unsure. My righteousness, Isaiah tells me, is as filthy rags. The best of the best of the best of the best we could ever do is filthy rags in the nostrils of God, but His righteousness is, is purified on our behalf. And we know that we are pure because he is pure. We're not pure because of what we've done or what we've not done. We're pure on because of what he's done, because of what he's accomplished. He said, Whoever, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. What is the law? Paul's, uh, Paul John is talking about here, he's talking about that believing. That is the commandment of God. That's the command that, commandment that makes a difference. There's no wonder that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, when they asked him what's the first and great commandment, he said to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. The second is like an undid, love thy neighbor as thyself. He said on these two hang all the law. He didn't stop there. He said, On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Do you know what he was saying? He said, On these two hang all the Old Testament. The entirety of the Old Testament hangs on what? That you love God and you love your neighbor. What is he telling us here? He told us in, cha- in, in chapter number three and verse 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the of his. Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. (laughs) This is his commandment. He said in verse number four, Whoso committeth transgression also uh, transgresseth against the law, and sin is the transgression of the law. And we know That he was manifested to take away our sins. To take away our unbelief. Jesus Christ was manifested that we might believe. He was manifested to take away our belief. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither hath known him. Again, he's talking about that belief. What, what if we read it this way? Whosoever abideth in him believes. And whosoever believeth not, hath not seen him, neither knoweth him. He said, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doth righteousness is righteous. What is that righteous? What is the right thing? The right thing is believing God. Yes. Believing what he said. This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. He that committed sin, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. What, what, was, what was the devil's aim in the very beginning? If you go back to Eve, what did he do? What did he sow in front of, in front of Eve? Unbelief. How did he do that? Yea, hath God really said? Unbelief—that was his. That was what he was trying to sow before her. He said, "For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil, that He might destroy that unbelief." What did Jesus? During his walk on earth, what did he continue? What did he continue to do? He continued to draw people to him. Believe. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. What is that sin? Unbelief. For his seed remaineth in him. That word seed here has to deal with the Holy Spirit. It has to deal with Jesus. And then Jesus makes the statement, I leave unto you another comforter. The Holy Spirit of God is in us. That is the reason we can't unbelieve. He says here, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. It does not mean that you... If 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 that was what John was saying, if John was saying here that we couldn't sin, then John contradicted himself back over in chapter number 2. What did he say in chapter... Look in, in verse number 10 of chapter number 1. He said, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, make God a liar, and his word is not in us. He tells us in verse, in verse number one of chapter number two, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Yes, sir. So he's not talking about our deeds, he's talking about our unbelief whosoever is born of god doth not commit the sin of unbelief for his seed is in him you don't commit the sin of unbelief because the holy spirit of god is in you and he cannot sin god said you you can't unbelieve you can't stop believing I keep thinking about that double negative and it making it a positive and it, it's messing with my brain. <laughs> you can't stop believing. You can't. Why? Because he's born of God. And then he tells us here in verse number 10, in this, the, are, in this, the children of God are manifested. They're manifested. The children of God are manifested how? How do you know that someone's a child of God. They believe. And it's the same way that the children of the devil are manifested because they don't believe. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither is neither he that loveth not his brother. How does all of that play out? How does all of that happen? Did we not look at previously how that that John said, I don't give unto you a new commandment. I give unto you a commandment that was from the beginning. What was the commandment from the beginning? Love God. Love God, love your neighbor. And then in the very next verse, John does this. He said, I write unto you a new commandment. Well, he just got through telling us that he wasn't writing a new commandment. But now he tells us it's a new commandment. It's new in this way. It's the same commandment as what John was saying. The same commandment is that you love God and you love your neighbor. Before the manifestation of Christ on the cross, man, it was impossible for man to understand The love of God. How was the love of God manifested? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. That was the love of God manifested. Where was the love of God manifested? On the cross of Calvary. Why? Because on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. Is that what he said? No sin in him. He knew no sin. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, bore the entire wrath of God for all of the sin of mankind. He partook of the wrath of God. What does that mean? When we believe Christ for us, when we believe Christ did what He did on our behalf, when we believe that Christ did what He did in our stead, when we believe that Christ did what He did to become the propitiation, what does the propitiation mean? The word propitiation means satisfaction the wrath of God was satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our belief is in the fact that Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He's our satisfaction. I cannot satisfy God, but Jesus Christ satisfied God on my behalf. He who knew no sin. Became sin, what? For us. (laughs) Therein is the love of God revealed. Before the love of God is manifested in us, through the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God, before that happens, we know not how to love God nor do we know how to love one another because we have not seen God in his love. No man hath seen God at any time, but then Jesus turns around and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me manifested, you've seen the Father. What is God? God is love. God is light. All of these things have been manifested in us through the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the reason the readers of this letter could read this section of this letter and walk away assured. Why? Because they knew they were believing. They knew they were believing Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for them. I'll ask you again the same thing That I asked a couple weeks ago. Do you believe? Do you believe that Christ. Suffered and bled and died on your behalf? Did he do it for you? Then I can say on the authority of God's word. You're a child of God. Why? Not because of the deeds that you do. Or not because of the deeds you left undone. But because of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to change. And it is Christ alone. And Christ alone for us. Let's pray.